worship hall where you can sign up for different aspects of BLAST. So if you are willing to volunteer some time and, and serve in that ministry, we would appreciate that. Also, uh, the Sunday school rosters are out. And so if you would take a look and make sure that your children are listed in the correct grade. If they are not on there, if you would please add them uh, to that list. Also, uh, if you're interested in being a substitute teacher for Sunday school, we could always use substitute teachers. And so we have all our teachers lined up for the year, but we, we could use a few substitutes. So if you're willing uh, to help substitute teach, you can sign up on that sheet there as well. Um, and then finally tonight, ice cream sandwiches will be served after the service. And so uh, please come tonight, 6 p.m. is the service, and then stay afterwards. Uh, ice cream sandwiches will be served this evening. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me as we have a moment of silent prayer. And we ask the Lord's blessing upon this service. And so let's bow together before him. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us to rest from our normal labors, to bring worship and praise to you. We pray that you would bless the service. May all of it be to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 46. Uh, if you know anything about Psalm 46, it's a, it's a psalm that, that talks about the turbulence of our world. And uh, certainly we know that our world is a turbulent one. It is often a chaotic one, but God wants us to know that he is in control, uh, that he is sovereign over all things. And that's a fitting way, I think, to begin our worship this morning is remembering who God is. Psalm 46, verse 10, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our refuge and he is our strength and he greets us this morning and so receive the greeting of our God and King. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing together number 100A. Number 100A, shout to the Lord all earth. We'll sing both stanzas and let's remain standing as we sing.
you have your Bible, I would invite you at this time to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we'll read the Ten Commandments from verses 1 through 17. God has given to us in his word, his moral law, how he calls us to live. Uh, that moral law has not changed. God's will is still the same for us. And so Exodus 20, even though we may tend to think, well, that's the Old Testament, um, that still applies to us today. And so let's hear now God's will for our lives. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates." For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, most of you know that uh, for about eight years I, I worked in a furniture store, uh, sales, and did all the advertising, and managed the store. And uh, every October we, we ran a, a sale called Bogoff, B-O-G-O-F, buy one, get one free. And it was, a, it was a sale on recliners. We did it every October. You come in and you buy one recliner for, let's say, $5.99. You get the second recliner for free. One day a gentleman came in and, and I happened to engage him. And, and I asked him, what can I do for him? And he, he said, well, I need two recliners, but I don't want one for free. And I thought, okay, that's kind of bizarre, but we'll go. So we went back into the part of the store where all the recliners were and he sat in recliners and eventually picked out two recliners. And I took him back to the, the counter where we write up the sale and I, I got the invoice out and I started writing the sale and I put recliner in the number and I put, I think it was $5.99. Then I put the second recliner and I wrote free. And he said, I don't want that. I don't want you to write free. Customer's always king. We do what the customer says. And he said to me, I've, I've never taken anything free in my life. I work for everything I get. So I want you to take $5.99, I want you to divide it in two, and I want you to write $2.99.50 for the first recliner, 
and $299.50 for the second recliner so that I don't think that I got anything for free. That's what I did. I, I share that with you this morning because that's how a lot of people think about eternity. No one's going to give me anything for free. I've even heard that from people before. I know God's not going to give me anything for free. I'm going to earn it. And there are a lot of people in our world who live their lives that way. I've earned everything I've gotten and no one's going to give me anything, even heaven, for free. Well, the Bible reminds us that we all fall short. None of us can earn our way to heaven. It's imperative that we understand what God is telling us here in the law this morning is that this is a reminder to us that there's nothing you can do on your own to get to heaven. There's nothing you can perform or no way you can earn it. The only way we get to heaven is by a free gift of God through Jesus Christ. And so let's not approach salvation and eternity like some people approach life. I don't want anything free. Instead, we are thankful this morning that God gave us his son so that the gift of God is free salvation in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that if you are sitting in the pew this morning and, and thinking that you're going to get your way to heaven on your own, I have to tell you, you're not going to make it. You're going to fall short. All of us fall short. Instead, the call of the gospel is to run to Christ and find our salvation in him and to rejoice that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Number 265 is a, a beautiful hymn in Christ alone. We're going to sing that hymn now, and it's a, a hymn that we sing fairly frequently. Hopefully the words don't pass us by because the words are, are very beautiful. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Christ is our righteousness before God. Christ is our only hope. And so let's sing the four stanzas and let's stand as we sing.
please join me as we come before the Lord this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we worship you and we praise you. We exalt you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. You are the one true God. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. You are the sovereign king over all. Lord, as we heard in the call to worship this morning, help us to be still and to know that you are God. That as our world rages and as our own hearts rage at times and struggle with trials and difficulties, Lord, help us to know that you are on your throne. That, that nothing surprises you, nothing catches you off guard. Help us to remember that that you do all that you please and that no one can thwart your purposes in this world. Lord, you are holy and majestic and transcendent and infinite and eternal. Your law this morning has reminded us of your perfect holiness, your perfect standard of righteousness. And Lord, we are sinful. And we confess this morning that that in this past week we have sinned against you in word and thought and deed, not only in the things that we have done, but, but also in the things that we have not done. Father, we are thankful in light of our sin that, that you are also gracious and merciful, that you are faithful, you are abounding in steadfast love. We thank you this morning for the, the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he has done for us. We thank you that through his life, death, and resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life, that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we thank you that the, the free gift of yours is eternal life, salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, help us this morning to rejoice in that good news. Help us to rest in him and what he has done for us. Father, we lift before you this morning those in our congregation and our families and friends who are suffering and hurting. We lift them before you and, and pray, Father, that you would grant them healing and relief. As your people endure hardship and, and difficulty, help them to remember that you are in control, that you are the sovereign God who loves them and who has promised to never leave them. And Lord, we pray that for all who do suffer physically or emotionally or spiritually, that, that you would draw them closer to yourself and give them your comfort and your peace. Father, we pray for the life and the ministry of our congregation, especially as we have a number of programs starting back up soon. We thank you for all who have volunteered and who will volunteer. And we pray that you would use us to minister to one another, that you would use us to uh, faithfully teach your word and your truth. And so whether it's for children or teenagers or adults, whatever the age group, Father, we pray that all of these ministries would be used to glorify you and would be used for our benefit and our edification. We thank you for our elders and our deacons and pray that you would continue to bless them in their service. Use them, Lord, to shepherd your people faithfully. We also pray, Lord, that you would give us a desire to continue to pursue outreach and evangelism. We pray that you would help us to remember that, 
that we have the good news of Christ to take into this lost and dark world. Help us, Lord, give us wisdom to to plan and to strategize how we might do that and help us as individual Christians to look for those opportunities and to speak to people about Christ who is our hope. Lord, we thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you for the many material and temporal blessings that we have that, that so often we may take for granted. Help us to remember, Lord, that all good gifts come from you. As we give today for tuition relief at Ripon Christian, we, we pray for Ripon Christian as school starts back up this week. We pray that you would bless all in leadership, the school board, the administration, the teachers, all the faculty, Lord. We pray that you would give them a wonderful school year. We pray for all of the students, that you would bless them as well in their education. And for all of our children and young people and college students as they enter a new school year, we pray that you would bless them. For those who will go away to school, we pray that you would watch over them and keep them safe. Bless them in their studies as well. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we may open it and study it together this morning. Give us wisdom. Give us receptive hearts. May we understand it. May we find joy in it. And may we apply it to our lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We now give to Ripon Christian tuition relief, and that offering will now be taken.
Thank you, Glenn. Before we uh, open God's word, we're going to sing number 531, Nearer, Still Nearer. Uh, We belong, the Bible tells us, body and soul to the Lord Jesus who bought us with the price of his precious blood. Uh, We look forward to the day, however, when we will forever be with him. We're going to see that this morning in Revelation 21. Uh, That's echoed in this song. We're going to sing the four stanzas. We'll sing stanza four a cappella, but let's stand as we sing.
Please take your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the new heaven and the new earth. And this morning, we look at what is called the New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, we'll begin reading at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the name, 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. One of the books that I was um, reading this past week was talking about Fort Knox. Fort Knox is um, located in Kentucky, and it's famous for being the place where a large portion of America's gold reserves are kept. It is estimated that there are, get this, 147 million ounces of gold at Fort Knox. That means that there are 8 million pounds of gold sitting at Fort Knox. How much do you think 8 million pounds of gold is worth? 8 million pounds of gold in today's prices is worth $285 billion. That's a lot of gold and that's a lot of money. Just think of all the things that you could buy with that money. 
Just think of all the places that you could go, all the things that you could see. But $285 billion, which is a lot of money, pales in comparison to the riches of eternal life. And that's what our passage drives home to us this morning. It once again reminds us of the glories of the eternal state. It reminds us what lies in store for all who love the Lord Jesus. We know it here as the new Jerusalem. And John tells us this morning three things about the new Jerusalem. First of all, it's beauty. It's a beautiful place. Secondly, he also tells us about its security. And then third, he tells us about its residence. It's beauty, it's security, and it's residence. Now maybe you have uh, been to a beautiful city before. A really, really beautiful place you visited. When we were in Europe uh, back in 2018, we went to a town in Switzerland called Zermatt. Zermatt is a, it's a small town of about 5,800 people. It, it sits at an elevation of about 5,300 feet, and it's completely surrounded by the Swiss Alps, probably the most beautiful city I have ever seen. And, and maybe you recollect right now a beautiful place, a beautiful city that you've been to before. Nothing, though, compares to the beauty of the New Jerusalem. I want you to notice how this city is described to us. John tells us no less than, than seven things that show us the beauty of this place. First of all, verse 11 tells us that the radiance of this city is like a most rare jewel, like jasper. Jasper is a, a very precious very beautiful, uh, very radiant stone, similar in, in many respects to a diamond. Secondly, if you drop down to verse 18, you'll notice that the wall is also made out of jasper. Again, the, the symbolism here is the stunning beauty of this place. Third, John tells us the city is pure gold. It's as clear as glass. Fourth, if you look at verse 19, the foundations of the wall are adorned with every kind of jewel. And then it, it goes on, lists all the jewels, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beres, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. Beautiful, beautiful place. Beautiful stones. Fifth, verse 21 tells us that the 12 gates of the city are 12 pearls. Children in the, in the Bible Pearls are used to describe something that is incredibly valuable, incredibly precious. You can think of the, the parable that Jesus told, I think it's in Matthew 13, the, the pearl of great price. Sixth, John tells us the street is pure gold. In other words, this is a, a perfect place. There are no flaws in this place. It's perfect. It's beautiful. And seventh, if you look at verse 23, it says the city has no need of any light because the glory of God gives it light and because its lamp is the lamb. The point is that the, the triune God is at the very center of the city. It's all about him. It's all about extolling his excellence. It's all about his beauty. And, and by the way, if we, if we don't love the glory of God now, if Jesus is not our beautiful Savior now, why would we think that we would enjoy this place for all eternity? 
You know, the Bible tells us on, on more than one occasion that there are, there are people who will profess belief in the one true God. There are people who will profess to be Christians, followers of Jesus, but their lives give no evidence that that is true. Their, their lives give no evidence that they love God now, that they desire to glorify and honor and please God now. And if they don't have that desire now, why would they find joy and happiness in heaven? Why would they find joy and happiness in this place? You see, for the, for the unbeliever, God is not glorious. Jesus is not beautiful. The gospel is not precious to them. But, but Christian, for, for you, God is glorious and he is precious and he is beautiful. For you, the, the gospel is the sweetest message that you have ever heard. And you, you can't wait for the new Jerusalem to be your, your forever home. This is a place, brothers and sisters, of un, unparalleled beauty. This is a place where the glory of God shines forth without the darkness and the, the blackness and the ugliness of sin disturbing God's glory in any way. So I thought about this, this 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 week. You know what a what a contrast this is to the ugliness of our world. What a contrast the New Jerusalem is to the the darkness and the blackness of the world in which we live. We live, as you know, in a in a world that has been absolutely ravaged by the effects of sin. You, you see it in your own life, you see it in your workplace, you see it in your home, you see it in your neighborhood, you see it all around the world. Crime, violence, war, disease, and death. We live in a world that, that celebrates the murder of unborn children. We live in a world that, that parades before us all kinds of deviant behavior and expects us to applaud that deviant behavior. We live in a world that, that arches its back against authority, often in, in very violent ways. We live in a world of injustice. We live in a world of abuse. We live in an ugly, ugly world. But in the world to come, all of that ugliness one day will be gone. And the Bible tells us that the brilliant, blazing glory and beauty of God will shine forever and ever. And the church will be there. God's people will be there without any spot or any wrinkle or any blemish. And that's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? In, in this life, the, the church is full of blemishes. There's backbiting, there's infighting, there's disunity, there's false teaching. As the hymn says, though with a scornful wonder men see her sorrow pressed, by schisms rent asunder by heresies distressed. That's the church in this world. The church of Jesus Christ is far, far from perfect in this life. And I have to say to you that if you're looking for a perfect church, if you're looking for a church that has everything together, if you're looking for a church that will never disappoint you, you're going to be looking for a long, long time because you won't find it in this life. But one day, the church 
will be perfect. The church will be in a, in a perfect, beautiful city, the new Jerusalem. Now, it's not only a, a beautiful city, it's also a secure city. You notice in verse 12 that, that John sees that the city has a great high wall. Now, children, what is the purpose of a wall? What is, what is the purpose of something like that? What was the purpose in that day of a wall? Well, in the ancient world, uh, the purpose of a wall was to serve as protection. It, it was to protect your city against foreign armies and enemies coming in and invading your city. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember at the very beginning of chapter 21, we are told that in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more sea. And, and we saw that as a, a symbolic reminder that in eternity, there will be no more evil. Evil will be gone. And so you might ask the question, why does the new Jerusalem need a wall if there's no more evil? Why does the new Jerusalem need a wall if there are no more enemies? Why does the new Jerusalem need a wall if, if we don't really need to be protected from our enemies? Well, it's a symbolic way of saying to us and showing us just how invincible the eternal city will be. It's to emphasize how safe we will be. Now, now Ripon is a pretty safe town. I googled this this past week, and according to statistics, Ripon is in the 97th percentile for safety. Very safe place. But crime still takes place here. There are still robberies. There are still assaults. There are still burglaries. There are still thefts. There's still crime that takes place in this town. But in the New Jerusalem, you will be completely and, and totally safe. Satan will not be able to sneak in there to try to destroy you. Ungodly governments will not be able to, to barge into the city and harass you and persecute you. The wicked culture will, will not be able to press upon you its immoral, godless agenda. You will be safe. If you are a believer in Christ. But there's more to this. Look at verse 12. It says it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the, 12, at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Then you drop down and it says the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Why angels? Why are 12 angels stationed at the 12 gates? Well, we'll think about what we know about angels in the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that cherubim, or angels, were guarding the way to the tree of life. In Numbers chapter 22, we're told about an angel who had a drawn sword to meet Balaam as he tried to enter Israel's camp. In Joshua chapter 5, there was another angel with a drawn sword. This angel encountered Joshua as Israel prepared to enter the promised land. And so angels are protectors. Angels are guardians. In other words, these 12 angels are just further evidence of the security that we will enjoy in the New Jerusalem. 
Then you have the, the 12 tribes, the names of the 12 tribes being inscribed on the city gates. The, the 12 tribes, as you may know, are symbolic of God's Old Testament, Old Covenant people. And so the picture here is that, that all of God's people in the Old Covenant will be here. All who were, were looking forward to the Messiah, all who were anticipating his perfect work as the deliverer, all who believed in him by faith will be here. Adam will be here. Abraham will be here. Moses will be here. Ruth and David and Rahab and Daniel and all those whose names we don't even know will be in the New Jerusalem. Twelve foundations with the twelve names of the twelve apostles. That's symbolic of all of God's people in the New Testament. All who look back at what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. You see, brothers and sisters, all of this is a, a, a wonderful reminder of the, the security of God's people. Whether it's the, the old covenant or the new covenant, all who look to God's appointed redeemer, all who look to Jesus and embrace him as Lord and Savior will be in the new Jerusalem. And Christian, this includes you. You will be here. You think about this. Before the foundation of the world, God set his love on you. And before the foundation of the world, God chose to save you through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And in time, he sent his son, Jesus, to, to live for you and to die for you. The Holy Spirit then, at a certain point in your life, broke into your life and, and, and he applied the work of Christ to you. He gave you spiritual life. He, he opened your heart. You, you saw your sin. You saw your need for a Savior. You, you confessed your sin. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. And God has continued to work in you. It's slow at times. It's sometimes it's two steps forward and two steps back or three steps back. But, but he has continued to work in you. He's continued to grow you. He's continued to sanctify you. And he has told you that, that one day he's going to take you to himself. You're going to be with him. But when that day comes, he's not going to just leave you on your own now. He's going to continue to preserve you. He's going to continue to protect you. No one and, and nothing will ever, ever separate you from him. That's the point of this wall. That's the point of these gates. That's the point of these angels. But there's more. At this point, you'll notice the city is measured. All the walls, all the gates, all of it is measured. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over the years about what these measurements mean and, and all of this. You know, is it literal? Is it symbolic? What this measuring symbolizes is that none of God's people will be forgotten. None of them. None of God's people will be overlooked. God knows each one of his children personally by name. He won't forget and he won't misplace, and he won't neglect even one. Now that's pretty amazing when you think about it. 
We may at some times in our lives feel neglected or forgotten by people. You, you may feel at some point like, you know, I'm a nobody. Nobody really knows me that much. That's not true with God. God knows you. God will never forget you. And this whole city is, is measured as a symbol of God's intimate knowledge of each one of his people and his commitment to each one of his people. That includes all of you this morning. God knows you. God loves you. You are precious to him. And you'll notice some of the specifics of this measuring. It's pretty interesting. Verse 16 tells us that the city is four square. It's a perfect cube. It's 12,000 stadia long, 12,000 stadia wide, 12,000 stadia high. 12,000 stadia, if you didn't know, is 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles is a long way. I used to live in northwest Washington, and from where I lived in Bellingham, Washington, down to San Diego is almost 1,400 miles. It's a long, long way. The New Jerusalem is mammoth in its proportions. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. And then the wall is measured, 144 cubits, just over 200 feet. We don't know if that's the height of the wall or the thickness of the wall. It doesn't tell us. But, but 144, 12 times 12, is often seen as a number of perfection or completeness. That's what's being driven home here. Let's not get so caught up in the numbers. What's being driven home here to us is that this place is perfect. This place is complete. Have you ever thought to yourself before, you know, if, if I just had this in my life or we just had this in place, life would be perfect. You'll never say that in the New Jerusalem because it will be a perfect place. If my health was better, life would be perfect. If my job was better, life would be perfect. If I had more friends, life would be perfect. You'll never say that. In this city, there's no sin, there's no death, there's no persecution, there's no opposition. Perfect safety. You ever go somewhere before and you don't feel safe? Maybe um, it's an unsafe neighborhood. Maybe it's a, an unsafe environment where you know that people oppose you. Maybe it's an unsafe home with an abusive spouse or abusive father. It's not a good feeling when you don't feel safe. You'll never feel that way in the New Jerusalem. You will be safe and you will be secure forever. And so we have the New Jerusalem's beauty. We have the New Jerusalem's security and then finally, there are the New Jerusalem's residents. Who will be in this city? Well, look at verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We talked about the tabernacle last week, and, and here the temple is, is mentioned. Both of these things were symbolic of the presence of God with his people. In the New Jerusalem, there won't be a tabernacle. And there won't be a temple. 
Because those two things will have come to their fulfillment. The thing which those two things, the tabernacle and temple pointed to, will have been fulfilled because we will have perfect communion and perfect fellowship with God. You know, worshiping on the Lord's Day is um, it's a wonderful privilege for us. You know, we have the facility and we have the freedom and we have the health to be able to do this. It's an immense blessing to, to have the Lord's Day as a, a day of rest and worship. And, and I hope that, that this isn't something we take for granted. But you know, in this life, there are times in worship where our minds wander. There are times when, you know, we're just, we're just going through the motions in our singing. There are times when we're, we're thinking about something else during the sermon. I know because I see you. Now, all humor aside, there are, there are Sundays we just don't feel engaged. There are Sundays when, when we're tired. There are Sundays when, when we are listless. There are Sundays when we are, are weighed down, maybe emotionally or, or mentally. And maybe we go home and say, oh, man, I wish, I wish I would have been more engaged in worship. That will never be the case in eternity. We will perfectly worship and praise and glorify the triune God forever and ever. We will worship the one who loves us and whom we love forever and ever without any imperfection, without any wandering minds or hearts. We will love him and worship him forever. I love what Samuel Rutherford once said. He said, I know not which divine person I love the most, meaning Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, but this I know. I love each of them and I need them all. How much more true that will be one day when we worship God with no sin and no imperfection. Now we looked at verse 23 earlier, but, but notice again what it says. It says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. You ever read that before and you wonder, why, why don't we need a sun or a moon in the new Jerusalem? Well, let me give you an illustration, maybe help you understand what's being said here. Let's say that at the very end of the worship service, um, I said to you all, hey, after the doxology, we're going to go out into the parking lot, and I want, you to, I want to show you my really cool new flashlight. Now, you would all say, that guy's kind of weird, showing us a flashlight. But let's say you humored me and you said, okay, we'll follow the guy out there and we'll look at his really cool flashlight. And we go out there and, and I, I turn on my really cool flashlight. And you would all say, really? We came all the way out here to, to look at that. I couldn't even see the light very well. You don't need a flashlight in the bright of day, do you? You need a flashlight in the dark of night. That's the point that's being made here. Why would we need a sun or a moon? 
when the new Jerusalem is filled with the brilliant glory of God. By the way, this is a direct fulfillment of something Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 60. The sun will be no more. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Isn't that amazing? One day we will be in the presence of God's glory forever. Imagine that. And we're also told here that the days of our sorrow will end. And so the triune God will be there. We, the redeemed people of God, will be there. And notice two final things about this city. First, notice what the first part of verse 25 says. Its gates will never be shut. The gates of the city will never be shut. Why is that? Well, two things. First of all, it symbolizes, again, our safety. In that day, you, you had to shut the city gates in case of an attack. You had to shut the city gates in case your enemy tried to come in and attack you. You had to keep the gates closed. But brothers and sisters, in the eternal state, we won't need to close the gates. There will be no possible attack. There will be no enemy trying to get in. It will all be over. And we will be safe. And second, the, the open gates symbolize the nature of God's kingdom. In other words, the, the open gates show us that the kingdom of God is open to all who believe. It's open to anyone who comes to Jesus Christ in faith alone. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter who you know and, and who you don't know. The kingdom of God is open to all who come to Jesus Christ in faith alone. And I think that this is an important reminder, even though this is talking about eternity, this is an important reminder to us as we carry out the ministry that God has given to us in this church. We have to ask questions that evaluate and analyze our church. These open gates, again, are a reminder that, that God calls anyone into his kingdom who believes in Christ. And so we must ask ourselves, are we open to all the Lord brings here? Are we friendly and engaging with anyone who sets foot in here? Or are we only open and friendly to those who have the right last name? To those who live in Ripon? To those who have the right connections? Do we mirror God's kingdom by truly welcoming and embracing and enfolding all people whom the Lord brings here? Well, you notice the chapter ends, verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
You might say it says here that nothing unclean will be allowed in. I'm unclean by nature. What about me? Well, that's true. By nature, every one of us in this room is unclean. By nature, every one of us in this room has done what is detestable and false. But there's good news for us this morning. And the good news is that Jesus Christ became unclean for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin. In other words, him who had been perfectly clean. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He, he made him unclean so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus became unclean. Jesus took our sin upon himself so that you and I might be clean. So that you and I might one day enter this beautiful city, this secure city, where we will dwell with him forever and ever. Now, if your sins have not been washed away by the blood of Jesus, if you've not embraced him as Lord and Savior, you will not be allowed in this city. Have you come to Christ in repentance and faith, have you come to him as your savior? If so, you can rejoice this morning that he was made unclean for you so that now you are clean. And one day this will be your eternal home. What a beautiful picture we have of heaven and eternity. $285 billion dollars is sitting in Kentucky right now. Sitting there at Fort Knox. But that's nothing. That's nothing, Christian, compared to the riches of eternity. And the most wonderful thing of all is that Jesus will be there. John Piper once said this. He said the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus was not there? No sickness, all your friends, your favorite food, your favorite hobbies, your favorite places to visit, no conflict, no natural disasters. Would you be satisfied with that if Jesus was not there? Brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, that's what makes heaven so beautiful. That's where our Savior will be. Heaven would be hell without Jesus. This is what awaits us. 
And this is the Savior who awaits us one day. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the picture of eternity that has been painted for us. Lord, it is hard for us to imagine a city so beautiful, a city so secure, a city so glorious. Lord, help us to embrace this truth by faith because we walk not by sight, but by faith. Help us, Lord, to believe that because of Christ, this is what awaits us. And help us, Lord, to tell others of this news. And Lord, may we most of all rejoice that this is where our Savior will be. And we will be with him forever. Father, we at times feel lonely and discouraged. At times we feel forgotten or neglected. But you never forget us. You never neglect us. We thank you that the measuring of these walls reminds us that you know each one of us and love each one of us and that one day we will be with you. Help us, Lord, to live in the joy of this comfort, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together number 227. Number 227, How Great Thou Art. Uh, This is a passage as... We've seen throughout Revelation that lifts our hearts in worship of the Lord and for what he has done for us and what he promises to us. We'll sing stanzas one, three, and four, and let's stand as we sing.
sing 9b, stanza 1 is our doxology. Uh, tonight we're back at 6 and we're finishing up uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. So I would encourage you uh, to be here tonight as Paul gives us some uh, very important uh, final concluding instructions that really relate to all of us individually and especially to our congregation. So I want to encourage you to be here tonight at 6 p.m. And before we sing the doxology, God sends us out with his blessing. And so receive the blessing of our God and Savior, the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.